0: The father's only one part of the child's family. He's one of the two parents. In law, he's got equal rights. In reality, he has no rights.
1: Coming up on British thought leaders, Vincent McGovern, author, campaigner and father. Vincent became an expert in the family court system after being denied access to his children.
0: All we ever hear about in the media is about abusive men, violent men, toxic men and the gender pay gap. What's that got to do with children's welfare? see, there's a, a, a huge suppression of children's rights in the UK, but there's a massive, um, there's a massive development of pretend rights.
1: He says fathers don't realise how few rights they have.
0: They actually believe that they're equal in law, which is an absolute parody of belief, I can tell you. And they all believe, also totally believe that you're innocent to prove guilty. They simply can't comprehend that gender determines the guilt.
1: I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. So, McGovern, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Well,
0: thank you for inviting me.
1: It is a privilege. Can you start by telling us like, your background and your story? Well, I uh, got married quite
0: late in life, late thirties. I was a motorbike courier for 13 years, based in London, travelling all over. Came from a background in Irish road racing, so there's a natural crossover, shall we say. I uh, married a, a professional woman who was in poverty at the beginning her profession greatly increased in income. It was decided that I would be the primary carer when the youngest was four months old. I never remotely expected to be the primary carer, call it house husband if you want, and I just, you go into it. Uh, I won't say I took it like a duck to water but I absorbed into it and we end up with three children over the next few years and I was looking after three children for 10 years and immensely enjoyable, very, very busy. We had three properties because she accrued an extra property. So I was bringing the children around, purchasing stuff during the daytime, doing work in the evenings. Everything seemed to be flying and going quite well. And that was my limited knowledge of where I was in life. I had no mobile phone because I didn't want to be not there for the children. I deeply believe that children should have access to a parent, particularly going to and from school. And I detested seeing parents, even then, the beginning of the smartphones and kids tugging at them to get their attention and that. Because I found that when children have vested their interest, or concerns in you on the way home from school, we always walk 95% of the time. Then they don't want to know you after, after you fed them and they want to do their own thing. I said one hurts the other or whatever. You get that 10 second of attention. So that's what that is my life from 1998 until 2007 and I had absolutely no idea what the future awaited for me.
1: What happened next?
0: Well, all of a sudden in February 2007, my ex-wife decided that I was surplus of requirements and unknown to me, she had been keeping a diary since she got married in preparation for my expected departure, expected to her, unknown to me. I refused to leave. I could not contemplate not being involved in seeing the children regularly. Obviously, she's a mother, she should be involved as well and the anger increased from her and I had no clue what to do other than basically do nothing which in hindsight was the best thing I could have done. I had great moral support from family and friends and then all of a sudden I found myself getting a huge inch thick sheaf of papers one morning where I was, uh, five court orders against me, evicted from the family home, non-molested, injunction, specific issue orders, uh, the full monte. I had 24 hours to leave the family home. The children had been taken away by the mother with the uh, collusion of social services and unknown to me social services had contacted me a week or two earlier and I asked them for help with the children because I, I, really, I realised it was completely above me the anger I was facing and, and the hostility and the suffering the children were going through. We're not mention what I was going through because I'm the adult I don't really count. And unknown to me, I had been processed in Brent's Multi-Agency Risk Assessment Conference, where the local domestic violence agency, which is a section of women's aid, uh, which in constitutional practice will only accept evidence from female survivors of domestic abuse only. I love the dramatic language they use. I got that a l- year later with uh, help of a very good MP, Barry Gardner, Freedom of Information. I had been processed in their uh, London Borough Brent Domestic Violence Corporate Strategy, where its constitution is that the perpetrator, who's automatically male, because he's not allowed access to the service, will not be allowed to see the evidence. And the female survivor has to receive full support, and the allegations are deemed as evidence. Uh, All this was brought out three court hearings later on, many months later.
1: And in the meantime, I hadn't been seeing the children. And so, so your, your children had spent their whole lives being brought up by you. Oh yeah. And then suddenly they're not allowed to see you anymore.
0: Well, I'm not allowed to see them. Yeah. And if I'd attempted to, or any member of my family had attempted to, I would have been done for breach in the terms of the injunction, based on evidence I'd never seen.
1: So how how did your partner justify that, the just taking you out of the picture like that? Well, she had been parent for that since we
0: got married. I didn't know. I had actually no idea. As I say, I was probably the most ignorant man that ever found, f- f- found himself in this situation. Our justification was that uh, it's the justification an awful lot of parents use with issues, shall we say. I won't go any further because I know there's a risk of legal action there. Um, that the children must love only them. And that the more love the children have for me and my family, the more they want to break that. They see that as a threat to their sense of being. Uh, That is an issue for psychologists, shall we say. But where I come into this picture, and who have been fighting ever since, is that it's totally unacceptable that government-funded agencies should operate in such secrecy, that they will totally automatically discriminate against half of all parents, male, because of gender, irrespective of the damage done to children. That, to me, is a sickening thing. The damage done to children, including my own, because it is totally perverted service, which severely subverts the welfare principle of the Children Act, which is the welfare of the child is a paramount consideration, Section 1, which I entirely agree with, but is completely subverted at local and national level.
1: So all this evidence was brought against you, but you in weren't the allowed in to in see... Pro- I, was,
0: I wasn't allowed to see it. I had no idea.
1: So you didn't know what... the what it was?
0: No, no, totally unaware. I knew that she was involved with agencies in Brent. I had attempted to get help from the Brent Domestic Violence Agency and the National Domestic Violence Helpline, which, looking back on it, was so amusingly stupid of me. But, uh, of course, I was blocked. But I was searching for help. And when Social Services got involved about a week before I was booted from the family home, I asked them for help as well. And a case conference was organised, which my solicitor was horrified about, because he didn't know how such evidence had suddenly come about. The solicitor was based on borrowed money, I might add, obviously received from family and friends. And um, at the case conference, they were only being the verdict on the evidence of domestic violence, which they had processed in secret. And based on that verdict, which was that I was a danger to the children. Now, based on the allegations, I was a danger to society at large. I, I was presented as a psychotic individual, but nobody had seen that evidence. Only being diverted, the which they have deemed, which they have processed in private. Mm. It's a perfect. I hesitate to use the word kangaroo court because to me it's an insult to kangaroos.
1: Have you done anything to warrant this labelling of domestically violent?
0: I had refused to leave the family home mm. when repeatedly and Your angrily heart. demanded yeah, we're home, yeah, the family home. I refused to leave it. And that was the warrant for it. And in uh, London Borough, Brent Domestic Violence Corporate Strategy and the National Centre of Domestic Violence, that is controlling behaviour on my part. Because the guidance is that by remaining silent I am guilty of course of controlling behaviour. Because I may become violent. The gender-determinative totally here. Mm -hmm. It happens so often, thousands of times per year, but most fathers don't get to the bottom of the evidence and all the rest. Mm. Only 0.6% of these allegations are ever brought before the family court for proper adjudication of what's called a final fact hearing. I had never been cautioned, charged, arrested, telephoned by the police, interviewed by the police, like the vast majority of fathers, I might add. Yet all this evidence was accrued, and that got me injunctive from the family home with the family court. It presented ex parte means without knowledge to me, without me being aware. So then when that happens, you, are, you have a return hearing. Not always. Uh, there's occasions where there's no return hearing. But I had a return hearing, and the judge, uh, that's the first hearing I was at. He was very angry at what he calls backdoor justice, an accurate description of it. And he ordered that all the evidence be brought before the next hearing. And that's when I suddenly discovered that when the mother was presenting to the Brent section of Women's Aid, they told her, it's in print," that I she had enough evidence to get an injunction against me or a normalisation because there was basically no evidence. And then they asked the leading questions. Has she ever been known to abuse animals? Etc. Because they're searching for sufficient evidence to get me removed. And that was when the, the phantom dog, we call, my family called him Shadow, is brought in. i he never been known to abuse animals. Suddenly I was accused of repeatedly kicking and then killing the family dog, which never existed.
1: The, the evidence said that you abused a dog that did Oh, repeatedly.
0: In front of the mother and the children, caused them all great distress, as it would cause great distress if it had happened. Now, I was quite lucky in that regard because I had sufficient funds from family and friends to be able to stay in the hearings to get this evidence brought out. And far too often, then you see, because I've been a Mackenzie friend for 11 years, that's a lay advisor in the family courts, mm-hmm. usually had from fathers, but sometimes mothers and grandmothers. Um, very few can stay in it or have the wherewithal to be able to get this evidence brought out. And when the evidence is brought before the court, it is Normally, the case that a lot of the most severe allegations are set aside. They were made in error. The mother was distressed. Mm. The, thi- the uh, statement was not signed, or the statement was not dated. This is how it, uh, the system works. So, you're sh- this is coordinated by social services. Mm. And their verdict is that once the perpetrator is removed from the family home, the children are then safe.
1: The perpetrator always being the male.
0: Yeah gender is determinative in the majority of these cases mm. and um, uh, we're faced with such an avalanche of state fond- I mean, t- this uh, women's aid is uh, stationed in the police station in Brent their address and all the rest so to the average person you think hang on here's the police as well kicking me out the police are just the host now women's aid in Brent is n- neither regulated by the council or the police. And I have uh, many times, including 2022, tried to get on a subject access request and freedom of information all the evidence they have on me, which they're, by law, meant to give to me. Mm-hmm. They've never given me the uh, evidence for women's aid. Now, I, accu- I acquired that through the back door with the assistance of a person inside the council who was horrified at what had happened. See, enough of the councillors and people in Brent don't know what's going on with these, uh, what I would call, rogue agencies who've hijacked the system, and this applies to an awful lot of working class communities. Mm. It's not just Brent. But Brent are the lead, was called BACU, Borough Operational Command Unit. And uh, there's huge funding behind this ideology. The funding is not the problem, the ideology is. So my quest is to In my opinion, a lot of this funding should be subject to the Serious Fraud Office investigation. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, during the COVID pandemic, irrespective of your opinion on pandemic, domestic violence agencies had a great hoo-ha about the abuse that vulnerable women were receiving. Mm -hmm. A 200% increase in calls to domestic violence agencies. And, of course, all the cowardly politicians and the media jumped in this bandwagon. They received 212.8 million of extra funding to deal with the increase domestic violence because of the lockdown. The Office of National Statistics, in I think November 2020, reported that despite a huge increase in allegations of domestic violence, uh, there was no increase in the criminal courts. Right. But now, there's 212.8 million received for no increase. One of the arguments used used in Brent, incidentally and written about in the local paper, and that was that there was a huge increase in violence when coming up to the World Cup. Mm. And uh, as was stated in the local paper by your councillor, I think his name is, because these agencies will use what I call the useful idiots, and use that term accurately, as their agents. Uh, He wrote, I quote, as everyone knows, when England lose at football, there is a 38% increase in domestic abuse, and when they win, there's a 26% increase. But they never say what happens when England draws, because of course this comes from uh, an allegation in the National Football League in America. Right, the NFL. In yeah, in yeah, 1993 this came about. And as investigators, have found it to be
1: 100% false. So they, they don't have a draw in NFL, do they, because the scores are so high?
0: Yeah, yeah. But even in the last World Cup, the Qatar World Cup, that percentage has not increased, but there's a lot of attention and, and media narrative about the increase of domestic violence should England lose. You look at the tweets, the social media, the posts from Women's Aid, Refuge, and the like, Thank and you. the Victims Commissioners, who, as far as I'm concerned, have suspended any pretence of impartial professionalism and are just cheerleaders for gender vigilantism, as I call it. I'd only use the word feminism, because this is not feminism, this is a complete perversion of feminism which, in my opinion, was about equality, which I absolutely support. But that has been hijacked long ago, as Aaron Pitsey, one of my mentors, has so brilliantly described them as Marxist feminist.
1: So that's my background. You know your book is called The War on Dads and Children, and, Thank you. and this is the war that you're referring absolutely. to, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. How can people fight back against this war? Well, as one of my... Um, Something I have difficulty understanding
0: is how I managed to go so far, despite computer illiterate and badly educated. Yet I've had five Ombudsman's investigations, three in Parliamentary. I presented twice the European Petitions Commission. I was partly responsible for the first ever investigation into a sovereign nation, Children's Services. In the EU, the UK has looked upon as being in the, the, the Black Horse, really? in the Dark Hole or as the brilliant Austrian MEP, sadly since deceased, Angelika Workman, I think her name was, as she said to me when I met her, it is always that in the UK the welfare of the child means the welfare of the profession at the expense of the child. And among the other expressions I heard from the female MEPs there, was that it is always that in the UK you have a 1970s toxic type of feminism that controls the whole narrative and the, the gateway system and the media surrounding the family court. So my point is very simple. If a simple clown like me can achieve so much, why aren't far more doing as much as well? So that's why part of the reason why I've written the book, to open people's eyes to what is happening, to give people an opportunity to, in their boroughs, in their areas. But the problem is, and I've dealt with thousands of fathers over the years as a former chair of Santa Lona Branch Families Need Fathers, the vast majority of fathers coming into this system that I encountered at charity level were uh, from the working class and they actually believe that they're equal in law which is an absolute parody of belief I can tell you and they all belie- also totally believe that you're innocent to prove guilty they simply cannot comprehend that gender determines the guilt
1: Right.
0: and they will say you're just a radical men's rights activist when you say that hmm. because they don't want to accept that this is the case they will clutch their pieces of statute legislation their article 6 uh, right to a fair trial, they Article 8, right to a family life. They are qualified rights, not absolute rights. But the real problem is that the media will refuse to l- interview people like me. Mm. Martin Daubeny, who was such a helper with that book, and Anne Whittacombe have uh, interviewed me, and newspapers were meant to follow up. I've seen the article that's been written by Martin Dovney, for example, that the others in certain newspapers had agreed would write. It's quashed. doesn't get published. There's this terrible fear of all these, uh, the media, the editors, sub editors, what have you, of uh, a section of women's aid, as has happened to me when I organised a conference once, protesting outside, right? that you're supporting the killing of women, that you're a misogynist. Mm. What has wanting to remove malpractice from the family courts got to do with misogyny? Absolutely
1: nothing. You've modestly referred to that you, you became quite an expert on family law in all of this. don't want uh, An expert. Yeah, <laughs> 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 an expert all the same. Yes. Do you think the problem is with the law or is it with the implementation of the law?
0: The problem is entirely with the implementation and administration of the law. The written law is fine. People say smash the family courts. Yeah. A nonsensical statement to make. Mm. Smash the malpractice is what I want to see. Or remove it, rather. The word smash is for children playing with, kill footballs or something. Um, it's interpretation and implementation, particularly in working-class areas and against working-class people. The middle class and upwards are in better areas, generally. There aren't these vigilante agencies tolerated, generally. They're more, uh, how would I say, more professional, less aggressive. Right, the middle class and upwards can afford proper legal representation, so that's why those agencies don't operate there so well. But in the poorer working class areas, they have no opposition. They are the system. I mean, the mayor of London, vociferously and regularly, demands that uh, children be educated about their toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and the removal of misogyny. I mean, what an insulting thing to say to half the population, that children, boys of four should be educated on their toxic masculinity. Don't hang toxic with masculinity is those who use that term. That is all. So the law itself is fine. The senior judges understand well parental alienation, the damage it does to the children, how the system has been so extraordinarily well gamed, to quote the former president of the family court, uh, Sir James Mumby, a man who I've met in person and who I deeply believe wanted to reform the process. But the vested interest completely outmaneuvered him, and particularly last but legal aid, sentencing and punishment of offenders, and question of controlling legislation, and practice direction 12j regarding cross-examining by litigants in person, where it is deemed that if a, the narrative now is from victims commissioners and women's aid and refuge, is that if a man makes an, an application to court to see his children, he is guilty of coercive of controlling behaviour. This is a complete perversion of the Children Act, which is that the children the Parliament respond to consideration of the court, and that the children have a right to a proper relation with both parents and their wider families. Because when a child is denied from seeing their father, which is 95% of the time in the family court, or the process, they're denied from seeing their grandmothers, their aunts, their cousins. That's the child's right. Nobody the right to take that away. Unless, of course, it meets the criminal standard, which I entirely agree. But it never gets the criminal court, the vast majority of this. It doesn't even get the family court, a lot of it. Because a lot of fathers, when they find themselves being injuncted, as I was, to come to the meetings with this sheaf of papers, shouting about their rights and all the rest, they're not near capable, no more to having the means of hiring uh, lawyers and solicitors. And, the, whereas the accuser automatically oh, gets legal aid. Without... It's meant to be means-tested, but there's a charade for a start. Uh, Generally speaking, the woman will get legal aid. She will definitely get the injunction anyway because the professionals will assist her in getting it there. And um, the implementation and interpretation is the entire problem.
1: What do you think are the key changes you would like to see to that?
0: Well, number one, the ridiculous delays of over 94 weeks needs to be gone. And as the Family Court itself has regularly attempted to do, from beginning to when, should be no more than six months.
1: So, that delay time, the father may not be seeing the children That's right. at all. Usually, the father, occasionally the mother, but usually the father. And also, instead
0: of all the funding going to these um, gender vigilante domestic violence agencies by local and national authority, that should be going towards contact centres and the development of contact centres to keep children in contact with both parents. Unless criminal, criminal proceedings are taking place. Yeah. Right. And also, until there is sanction for false allegations, as opposed to the current situation where there is encouragement of false allegations, there is actually no hope ever of the wealth of the child being legitimately administered as a paramount consideration, because you have a totally weighted system. And I found that when, on occasion, uh, the mothers, who are victims of parental alienation, the few times there are smaller, it's about 3 to 5% that that happens. The system goes overboard to kick them, as if to justify, hang on, we are not totally one-sided. Yeah, It's an extraordinary protective mechanism almost. Right. Yeah, I've often tried to wonder why it takes place. But the real disaster, of course, for mothers is in what's called public law proceedings, adoption proceedings, because the UK used to have an absurd amount of forced adoptions compared to the rest of Europe. It's the only country in the EU nations that had forced adoptions, as it's called. Denmark has a version of them. And in two thousand and fourteen, when I was in the European Parliament, protesting, saying my piece, um, there was a few leading judgments by judges in the UK, and the worst one was, I think, Dame Justice Poffley, where she, on the Court of Appeal, where there's cut and paste, where the social worker had never even seen the children that wrote the report. And the district judge just copied and cut and pasted and removed the children from the mother. Yeah. Without a social worker who made the report, haven't seen them. No. It was just a process. And yet, local authorities given extraordinary funding to people who would foster these children. And quite often, the mother, as uh, Lucy Allen, I believe the MP's name is, I've written about her in the book, her child was almost taken into care. She was on an adoption board in Wandsworth. She was a counsellor, very capable person. And one casual comment to a locum doctor got completely taken out of context and her child was barely not taken into care, age 9 or 10, and her husband was never even asked what had happened. And they're more living in the family home. This is how absurd the process can be at times. But it's so bad that uh, the average person in the street doesn't want to know about it. And the average father who counters this wants to run a mile from it, which is a bit that annoys me. Because those who don't know, okay, there's deliberate ignorance far too often, but those who do know and who do nothing afterwards don't have my respect. But their attitude is that they're trying to keep their mental health together. And I can certainly understand that. I've been at funerals of men. I've seen men have mental breakdowns.
1: It's also a big cause of suicide. Oh, and it's, and
0: it's 34% uh, of the cause of male suicides, 900 to 1,000 men a year. Women's aid and the mainstream narrative is that three women a week are killed by violent men. They never give you the figure of the men who are killed by the women. And they never give you the figure, which is nine times greater, of the amount of men who are suicide because of relationship breakdown and are not allowed to see their children. And their response will be that, well, obviously he's violent, therefore he killed himself out of guilt. For example, in, in Coercive and Controlling uh, Interpretation and Training by Dr. Bianca Jackson, I have it in the book. Um, the training is that to domestic violence sector and uh, solicitors and barristers the training is that if a man is silent he may be coercive and controlling he's, he's guilty of coercive and controlling behaviour because he may become violent and we threaten suicide or I mention suicide to you that's a fourth example of coercive and controlling behaviour so you're stitched up either way
1: if you be quiet you're, you're guilty, and if you don't you're coercive that's close. right Yeah.
0: It's very hard to get around that and that is the elephant in the room, the massive system against fathers men involved in their children's lives. We hear a lot about deadbeat dads. Uh, recently, some government ministers said that the CMS is going to be given for the legislation to pursue deadbeat dads. That's the Child Maintenance Service. The CMS accounts have not been audited, signed off by the National Audit Office, I believe, for nine or 11 years. Anne Whittacombe, the Right Honourable, who was so supportive of me, is... Involved in that, but you never hear. Uh, you, you see, the opposition to shared parenting will say that the courts will very seldom make an order that the father cannot see the child. That is technically true. What they do not mention is that 986 percent uh, of applications, which are nearly five thousand a year for enforcement, are not dealt with. Right, so. You have a 98%, It's 1.24 percent are successful of enforcement applications. There's many senior judges who believe there should be no such thing as enforcement applications. So you spend maybe if you're lucky in your family with money around you, your money yourself, and you borrow tens of thousands. Start with 30,000 for a contested hearing, for example. And you know the, the, the hearings leading up to it, and you get a court order is worth less than the toilet paper you will use time you go to the toilet, in reality. Sorry to be so blunt, I mean the toilet paper analogy, but 1.24% success rate. Mm. What other form of business could that be tolerated in? None. Now imagine if that figure was reversed and there's enforcement of existing court orders, which are made, I might add, with the best interest of the child, right? After appropriate adjudication and all the rest, okay? Look at the differences how many more children would be involved with both parents and the wider families. Not just seeing the father. The father is only one part of the child's family. He's one of the two parents. In law, he's got equal rights. In reality, he has no rights. I, I quote Section 2, Subsection 4 of the Children Act, 1989. For the widens of doubt, the father is no longer the legal guardian of his children. So for those who shout about their rights, that's the law. Now, neither is the mother. The state is, to a large extent. I'm not talking wardship or any of that, which is a separate set of court proceedings. I'm talking the gender vigilantes operating behind the scene, women's aid, refuge, respect, the cartel as it's called. They have total control of the, ent- the gateway to the family courts in so many cases, thousands of cases per year. And they control the narrative, mainstream media. All you'll ever hear about, uh, look at the, who's interviewed, the few barristers totally opposed to shared parenting. Who deem all men to be basically toxic and violent, and they to be family law barristers. They will deem them as perpetrators before they've even got to court. How can barristers in a civilised society be allowed to use such language against half of all parents, half of society? There's no sanction against them. It's open season. It's a like hunting season. <laughs> yeah. What role does
1: legal aid play in all of this? I've mentioned the, it the
0: abuse of legal aid is pivotal. Legal aid is removed by the Conservatives when, um, in, in the coalition government in 2010, 2011, 2012. And in 2013, legal aid is only available where there is uh, allegations of uh, domestic violence. Oh, sorry, where domestic violence is featured. And it was called Legal Aid Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders. Think of that terminology, L-A-S-P-O. Well, straight away, there was a three to 400% increase in applications citing domestic violence than there had been before uh, coordinated by the domestic violence agencies who kind it in massively ideologically and financially and the applications for men w- of of legal aid went from 40 percent to five percent so only five percent of men were getting legal aid so horror; is virtually impossible to overcome technically it's possible yes But the gateway agencies are the domestic violence agencies. So good luck if you can get around them. Now, a few years later, this ordered by some minister that the the domestic violence agencies had to assist male survivors of domestic abuse. Because don't forget that the figures on women attacking men are on the vogue. Violence against women and girls, which embellishes that figure, which means they get more funding. It's a gorgeous circle. And uh, it was then discovered that when male. victims of domestic abuse, called the National Domestic Helpline, they have been screened to right, see they are perpetrators.
1: Right, because they're a male. That's male. Right. Now,
0: the uh, Domestic Violence Services will maintain that they do assist male victims of domestic violence. Look further and you will discover they will assist homosexual victims of domestic violence, not heterosexual. Right. That takes a bit of digging to find out. This is an example of the games they play. Now, in my opinion, they should be subject to domestic uh, Terrorism legislation, not just uh, uh, fraud investigations, because of course there are women who have been b- badly treated, beaten, brutally beaten, and abused by violent husbands. Not for a second do I question that. But 70% of the allegations in family court are false, found to be false, not possibly false, as Professor Tommy McKay and several other surveys that has been done. That gets very little publicity, I might add. So the system has been massively gamed. So the Facilitation and promotion of false allegations to get legal aid, in answer to your original question, means that a lot of women needing help aren't getting it, and a lot of innocent men are being framed. And this is government funding, don't forget. And we're told that there's no money for health services, whatever you want to mention, HS2 or anything else, and I'm no rail buff either way, but there's no money for doing anything, paying doctors, consultants or whatever else. So imagine if, the, uh, if it was properly targeted, Imagine if you had an inquisitorial system, like they have in so many advanced nations, with far better outcomes for children and both parents, post a force separation, rather than an adversarial system, which is heavily weighted, with the accuser getting full government funding uh, far too often. Not all the time, but far too often, particularly at working class level. So the social engineering is extremely well advanced. It's very well done. It's a smooth process, it is subject to no sanctions, it is subject to no investigation. The few people, and the only people in my opinion who will bring about change here are the few women leading this, uh, like apart from and and Anne Winnicombe, uh, Professor Nicola Graham Kivan, Dr Deborah Powney, Dr Liz Bates, that level of people. Now they are subject to the most brutal vilification imaginable, bomb threats and all the rest, when they present at conferences. Um, Miriam Coates MP for, I think, uh, Stocksbridge, a a Conservative MP, recently talked at the Fringe meeting about how the UK is the family breakdown capital of the world, which it is, with the worst outcomes for children of the OECD nations, which I believe are 38 nations. Uh, Sean Bailey, after the London riots of 2011, when there was such damage done, and I think 95% of the perpetrators had no father figure in their lives, there's a direct cause and effect. He said that when he was at meetings with these eminent people in various committee rooms and all the rest, the one word, conspicuous by absence, was what? Father. It has replaced the F word. It's not to be mentioned. And if it is, it's only in a pejorative manner. And how has this come about in the space of 30 years? It's quite extraordinary. Anthropologists will have a wonderful time looking at it at some stage. An incidentally, Dr. Anne Mackin, M-S-E-H-I-N, I I can't pronounce a lot of things properly. She's an anthropologist and a very proud feminist, egalitarian feminist, the old type. She is brilliant on her lectures on the damage done to children by the absence of father figures and how it leads to such an increase in crime, the mental health increase, which is enormous, the huge increase in ADHD, Mm. uh, which boys are allegedly all guilty of, you're led to believe, Yet the father, the founder of ADHD, Lee and Dr. Dean Eisenberger, on a deathbed condemned it and the pharmaceutical industry for making billions on the back of a questionable science, as he calls it. But by then, of course, the damage was done.
1: Uh, going back to something you've already mentioned, but that quite shocked um, me, what's the Britain's position uh, amongst other developed nations when it comes to the separation of, of father and children?
0: Oh, it's uh, chalk and cheese. Uh, in the Benelux Scandinavian countries, it's an inquisitorial system. Uh, Finland has only 2% of separations going to court because the default position is 50-50 share parenting. Now, I'm not an advocate of 50-50 other than it's a starting position and should not go below 35% of the child's free time. Uh, uh, in the UK, it's 100% and 0%. Forget what the law says, I'm talking about what the law does or uh, the abuse of the law does. So, for example, as Miriam Court c once again said, uh, half of all children at the age of 15, I think, aren't seeing their father in the UK. It was 57% in 2013, a steady increase. In Finland, it's about 90%. have a regular relationship with the father. And in the rest of the EU countries, I believe it's about 80-odd percent. A quarter of all children in the UK do not believe the father is part of the family because either parental alienation, or he's, he's, not, he's absent in the beginning, or he's just a sperm donor. We don't know, you know. Now, how is it that in the UK, men are deemed so violent compared to other nations? Spain, for example, is divided into different regions. And I think in 2011, they brought in, in I believe it was 11 regions. They brought in five or six regions a default position in family courts of more equal parenting time, EPT it's called. And in the other system it was the same system as here, you know, all or nothing basically. And they found, when they did research a number of years later, which is on the Family Seed Father's website, credit to them, that the areas with equal parenting time, not alone have far better outcomes for children, right? there's far less domestic violence and there's far less femicide. Because the men were looking at the disaster of no involvement with their children ever. They're looking at being if you kept yourself organized, you had a proper involvement with your children. Mm. That is some attraction to behave. But the ideologues are so opposed to men being involved in rearing children, despite the fact that in the census about a quarter of a million fathers are primary carers. And you go to any school, any primary school, a quarter of the parents are dads collecting the children. And nobody thinks twice about it nowadays. and no, neither should they think twice about it. You go to an awful lot of the toilets now, you see men's changing rooms with the baby facilities, because a lot of fathers looking after children for the mothers at work, and the credit to both of them. So the developed nations, as I call them, are so far ahead of the UK that my Donkeyotic ambition is that within five years, I don't know when this five years starts, because I'm now 15 years in this business, that in five years they should be halfway towards that figure. Mm. And in ten years they should match that figure as a developed nations with better outcomes for children i never say I lack ambition. I might lack ability, but I don't lack ambition. Well, what
1: can we do to achieve that?
0: Well, what you are doing, bringing it to more people's attention, interviewing more people like me. Um, my book has been given to about 30 of the great and good, if not 35 journalists, media figures, TV stations and the like, not even an acknowledgement that has sent it. All right. Now, so far, I haven't had one sent back. <laughs> My book is not that important. What is important with my book is information contained within. My story is not that important. What is important is what this is done. This is the system, the exposure of the system. So the more exposure, the disinfecting the public scrutiny, the investigation by investigative journalists with an impartial professional viewpoint, I'm not interested in men's rights getting involved in this because that only switches one to the other. That's no improvement. That is where you and I and whoever else wants to interview me that is what's necessary, getting the information out there. I know a couple of journalists and media people who would love to interview me, but as have told me, Vincent, I may not have a career if I do. That has to change. Yeah. That people with the knowledge I have, and I'm not the only one, and there's a lot of speakers in me in this business, Dr. Deborah Powney and lots of others. William Collins, he's an extraordinary intellect, that man. Uh, Nick Langford. Uh, um, Mike Bell, Gender Party UK. You know, Terry White. Uh, zach fine joe horton there's so many i could ream off dr john barry uh, martin cedar cynical psychologist those people they're the real brains i'm not the real brain i look upon myself as a foot soldier uh maybe i'm over ambitious a foot soldier but uh, yeah, to have some ambition in life uh, th- why aren't those people interviewed on a regular basis with the extraordinary knowledge they have of the damage done to children and society
1: you see that is what's needed what advice would you give to fathers who may be in similar positions to what you were in?
0: Look at the londonfathers.com website, my voluntary work website. Look at the front page. Go to Family Seed Fathers meetings in central London, my ex chair of them, or any other uh, help line. Read uh, the free chapters that are on that website. One, how to be a McKenzie friend. Sorry, how to be a litigant in person so that you arm yourself if you haven't got sufficient knowledge, read the section of what to do with false allegations, which is very short, two pages. Because a lot of men, but emotionally they cannot accept that. My book would be totally unsuitable for the vast majority of people entering this process, because it's too complex, too dense, too detailed, and their intellect, as mine was, is greatly reduced by shock when you enter this process. It is at least 50%. Mine disappeared for several months and it began to come back. And uh, this, in this state, you see, uh, the men can only be spoon-fed. The fathers can only be spoon-fed information. But the biggest problem is there's two central problems here. And I blame men for this now. One, they all believe that they're equal in law and they're instantly proven guilty. So that delusion cannot be removed from them because by the time that delusion is removed, they've lost, generally speaking. And two, they want to give you their opinion of how the system should be. I look upon the opinions as being like backsides. Everyone has one. That's all they're worth. You know, learn the process. And solicitors and barristers and defenders of the system will always say that we have to, the welfare of the child is paramount, which is by now a totally vacuous expression, completely counter to what it's meant to be. That the, they will say we need to see all the evidence. How is it necessary in civil proceedings to spend two years looking at evidence with a child having very minimal of any contact with a father in that meantime? Mm. That doesn't exist in other countries. What is different about u k fathers than other countries, fathers?
1: You know, I and mean the relationship's going to be severely affected in that:s right.: in
0: What child can survive three, six, nine, twelve months? or very limited of any contact with a father in a very hostile environment. His Honor, um, Stephen, um, oh my God, I forgot, Wildblood, addressed a conference I organized a few years ago with Central London Branch. And his, it's on, um, it's on my private website, ventsmcgovind.com. It's also on London Fathers <coughs> website, which is my voluntary work website. And his denunciation of the system, oh my God, when you hear the learner judge taken apart, exposing parental alienation, exposing the pressures the child is subjected to with uh, letters and cards only, sort of nonsense. And the wishes and feelings of a three-year-old. My three-year-old child was interviewed by social services, woken up from his sleep in nursery and asked three times, did you want to see go on holidays with Daddy or see his Mummy? He hadn't seen me for several weeks. And on the third time, the child said, Mummy, because you're confused. He hadn't seen me for several weeks, don't forget. Mm. And the basis of that, they broke a court order. They facilitated the breaking of a clear court order with no sanction. Now, if that's social services, if they were looking at 10% loss of income for breaking court orders, they'd break far less court orders. If a social worker involved was looking at removal for breaking a court order made by a court, get the picture? This is what's necessary. But this is what fathers don't understand. Society doesn't understand. Doesn't want to understand. There's a extraordinary deliberate blind eye turned towards the failings here. And all we ever hear about in the media is about abuse of men, violent men, toxic men, and the gender pay gap. What's that got to do with children's welfare? You see, there's a a, a huge suppression of children's rights in the UK, but there's a massive um, there's a massive development of
1: pretend rights. Vincent McGovern, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you, ever so much for inviting me. It's a natural privilege to have a a knowledgeable interviewer ask relevant questions.